Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the beginning, God created. What a, what a way to start, like, that this stuff didn't just happen by accident that in the beginning God created and that there was that, that there is some sort of presence behind every molecule and atom in the multiverse not just what we can see I mean I, we can only really <laughs> see from here to there but the far side of there beyond there these satellites that go up into space and they say, Jesus, the more we see, the more we realise, the less we have seen. That it's just billions and billions and it's beyond, you couldn't get, the size of it is unapproachable. That's it. And this old Jewish storyteller, bearded and thin and long rabbinical fingers and the tribe have gathered round and they're saying, tell us a story. Tell us a story, great teacher. And he goes, in the beginning. And all the people are there, fucking yes, we're not alone. Can you feel it? I think the the great discovery of Hinduism was that the outside and the inside are connected. I think they call it Atman and Brahman. And it's that they're not two separate things, that the world inside you is connected to the world outside you. And that great Theravadan Buddhist notion of it's not that we are conscious, it's that we we bobble in consciousness. There's a pervading consciousness between, not between, but in everything, cows and stones and trees and me and you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said let there be light and there was light and God saw the light and that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. Now the great 
psychonauts, the great astral travellers of the interior world will tell you that behind, it's, they call it the mystical cosmetic or something, behind everything that appears, behind the light, behind everything that you can sense, see, touch, taste, behind all of that, there is an abyss, an abyss of darkness and emptiness, but it's not an empty emptiness. They would say that you arrive in this place where you can't feel anything, you can't touch anything, you can't taste anything. You have no presence, you can sense no other presence. And the great mystic travellers will tell you that this emptiness isn't empty. That there is a presence there, but a presence that you can't sense. And they would say that this is what Jesus was addressing when he hung upon the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Because he hung there, that Christ hung in that darkness where he's walking around for 33 years and he can feel God and he can sense God and he is God. But he hasn't made that final, but he's still in human form, so he hasn't made that final, that final transformation into pure spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. The Word became flesh. And it's his, it's his flesh that's talking. Where are you? Where are you, God? Hanging on the cross and the Roman soldiers laughing at him. Crown of thorns on his head. And the soldier says, yeah, right. This fellow was the son of God, all right. So look at him hanging there. <laughs> Between two thieves. Jeez, that's... That's some crescendo to to God's life, isn't it? And Christ hanging there. Nothing like pure nothing. And this old, I don't know, the like the Bible isn't finished, I don't think. And God called the light day and he called the darkness night and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God called the firmament heaven. Such strange, brilliant storytelling. You know, it's such a... That's how we proceed through the world, is with a story. And the more the story is open to mystery, the more it can sustain us. And the realisation that there are people who have committed their whole lives to the mystery. People like John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila and John Moriarty and Christ. And in, in you know that great phrase in the Bible, in my father's house there's many mansions. And Bob Dylan added the line, and each one of them has got a fireproof floor. So in the mansion, in the, in the mansion of God's creation, there are many houses. Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, 
Christian. And they, they all have come up with stories, you know, and these stories that they're open, open to mystery. And it's when we don't have a story, it's when we're just kind of going from the obvious to the obvious. That's something inside of us dies then. Culture does no longer nourishes. It's a strange one. The more materialistic we become, just the more unsatisfied is the sense that I get from it. Just the more kind of uninspiring life becomes. And everything that we do is a fiction. That's the nature of the human imagination where we create. But as Spalding Gray once said about his stories, he's telling the lie that tells the truth. So maybe that's the way to approach the Bible. The Bible is the lie that tells the truth. And the great thing about the book of Genesis, this particular opening to it anyway, is that God makes everything and he says, and he saw that it was good. You know? And that's... To live in a culture that blesses everything by saying it's good. Everything in the world is good. Is there goodness in sorrow? Is there a part of sorrow? Is sorrow a love that we're not able to cope with? When you miss somebody because they've died, is it because there's a love there? It's so big and it's so powerful that it fucking hurts you. Like you're devastated. Sometimes we have an experience that's too big for our bodies. We're we have the phrase blown away. Someone you love dies and you're fucking annihilated. You're destroyed like. Now, I did meet somebody on the street one time whose brother had died and the brother left behind children and a wife and there was great sorrow attached to the death and this woman every fucking fibre of her being at that particular moment stared me straight in the fucking eye and said there's nothing good about it and then she looked away and said it again there's nothing good about it and the whole Old Testament is full of people being destroyed and murdered and butchered 
and then this the story goes on like if you imagine the bible as one story and that the this essence of love comes down to the world and is hung on a cross like is just nailed to wood and this pure love is hanging there and it says why have you abandoned me at that particular moment saying maybe there's nothing good about it But these old storytellers, the wisdom teachers from the Jewish tribe, when they were telling the story, and this, these were a hunted people, like, these were a, a people who had been enslaved and butchered. And to look at Jewish history is to look into the face of suffering, like, you know that story about the two Jewish men in one of the concentration camps and for some reason the Nazis had I mean say say you take away the term Nazi okay and and rather than look at people and call them the other what happens if you tell the story of the Holocaust and you only use the word we, you know. So, in other words, for us to claim ownership of the Holocaust and to say we butchered six million of us and this particular story is that two of us were talking as we watched one of us in a soldier's uniform hang a child like a this is the story now this isn't some grotesque act of imagination this is a story Two men are talking and for some reason one of us in a uniform is hanging a 12 year old child and one of the old men turns to the other one and says where is God? Where is God? And the other one replies that's him there hanging from the rope. And yet, the great story is that the world was created and God saw that it was good.
Perhaps the old Jewish storyteller was up to something, so maybe he was setting us up for the fall, that everything was fine, that God looked upon that which he had created and saw that it was good, and it was good until... until... the serpent came along and said to Eve, But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. But the serpent says, Ye surely shall not die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So perhaps the storyteller is just saying, look, everything was fine until we wanted to know more. When you think of, it's very earth-centric, people-centric story. But people are only working with whatever they knew at the time. But now that we know that if we were retelling that story, from that particular kind of perspective, we'd have to say, not only did he make the earth and saw that it was good, but he also made Mars. You know, imagine making Mars lifeless, red and dusty. And saying that it's good. Or all these planets where nothing grows. Where there's no life. There's just debris. And saying that it's good. One of the words that seems to be missing from that particular start of the story is love. You know, the old storyteller doesn't say God created the world and he loved it in my mind the the most obvious introduction of that word is when according to the old Jewish storyteller God so loved the world that he sent his only son it's a it's a story really that only make sense or is only of use when you bring it into your heart and say am I not that I'm God but that can I share in that perspective can I look on the world and say that it's good not in a pretend kind of repressed positivity guy smiley face trying to grin through the horror but to face everything and say 
that it's good. It's very difficult to do that. It's. I think we can say for sure that good is worth striving for. Which is where the notion then of justice comes in. That things, things went wrong. And goodness has to be strived for. We have to look horror full in the face. Look ourselves full in the face. And strive for what is good. There's a quote from this writer called Thomas Traherne. And he said... We should want like God so that we may be satisfied like God. So to me that kind of translates as not to put your own ambitions down and not to relegate all desire to... the work of the devil and let's take the devil and Satan as meaning everything that divides everything that stops us flourishing everything that stops community everything that promotes isolation and loneliness is Satan We should be, we should want like God so we may be satisfied like God. And not to be afraid of our desires. We have small desires for comfort and distraction and coffee and sex and fresh air. But to be even bigger than that to want beyond money, to want beyond comfort, to want beyond the senses almost, that we may be satisfied like God and to be ruthless in that ambition. To ruthlessly want not just small little inflections of good but the most good the most happiness the most joy maybe a story means nothing unless you live it. So how does Genesis, the book of Genesis then, how does it help me with my family, my my wife? That 
great opportunity and the privilege of that encounter between me and this woman of God. How does reading the book of Genesis help me with my children and the infinity of those relationships? I think the challenge is to swallow the story. To swallow the story, but don't let the story do your thinking for you. And to be refused, to be satisfied with small things. In, even though that that's how beauty comes to you a breath of fresh air when you leave the house or the sound of someone laughing but for us to be massively ambitious for us in our lives to be as ambitious as God is it sacrilegious to say to be as ambitious as Jesus as Moses Daniel that we should want it all that we should want everything and not to allow our ambitions our ambitions to become strangled or diverted or commercialized or strained or perverted ruthlessly ambitious for everything Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.